You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping and two free gifts this Father's Day when you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit with promo code GATORS. Head over to manscaped.com and purchase yours today. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. And joining me for this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, man, uh, you know, a lot going on uh, in the world today. Hope uh, everything's safe up there, up there in Philadelphia. I know it's a little crazier up there than a lot of other places uh, around the around the United States and the world. But I hope all is safe and uh, you're doing good up there. Yeah, we're doing fine. It's been a weird couple of weeks, but uh, you know, obviously, I think things are starting to settle down a little bit. Certainly excited that uh, it sounds like we're going to get some football this fall, and everybody's starting to announce the players coming back and and all that sort of stuff. I know back in March, you and I were uh, were hesitant to believe that we were actually going to have this, and it sounds like there might even be some fans in the stands. So, um, mark it down, guys. We need to figure out when we're going down there and and when we're gonna when we're gonna hang out and uh, and 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 enjoy the fall because it's been an interesting, interesting spring and start to the summer. Absolutely. We're getting closer to some normalcy, Wills. <laughs> we will talk about it in this episode as, uh, I guess, not so normal in a way because players are on campus working out here in June when they're you know, kind of really trying to get in tune with summer classes and stuff before the summer, uh, before the season kicks off. But uh, now with you know, coronavirus and COVID, um, everything that went on there, players are now finding their way back to campus. So we'll get into that a bit on this episode. Uh, most players are, are back on campus. So we'll get into uh, that. Some player, uh, one player who's not going to be on campus and, and one Johnny Brown. I'll take a look back at uh, Rache Caldwell and what he meant for Gator Nation after his passing away uh, this past weekend. And then Will and I would do something really fun. We kind of planned this for a while. <laughs> As Will said, we probably shouldn't plan much because it takes forever to get to it because as the moniker goes will for the podcast is there's never a dull moment so we've always had plenty to talk about so we've had this episode planned for a at least a month uh and and with everything going on we wanted to do something fun it just took us a while to get to it it was funny i went back into our messages to find some of the categories we talked about and it was just like continue scrolling continue <laughs> scrolling continue scrolling so yeah we've been planning this one for a while but you know the, for the most part it's been pretty good news in florida recently until until obviously the news about brown brown this week so um you know it, it's been a good thing to talk about good things for a change and not necessarily just be talking about negative so i, I was happy to push this one off and, and this is going to be fun too because this is just sort of nostalgia and talking about what we prefer and those sorts of things so it'll be fun too yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we'll get it. We'll get into it. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. 
There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes, as well as news for Jack's coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review Gators Breakdown. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, man, here we go. Players are back, or most of the players are, along with uh, most of the true freshmen uh, are back on campus for voluntary workouts. They do not have to be there right now. Uh, there are a few. <laughs> yeah, quote, yeah, there we go, quote, uh, voluntary. It kind of is, though. I was talking with somebody yesterday. There are a few players who have decided to hold back. Their parents have decided to hold back to kind of maybe see what's going on there with the worry of COVID and make sure there's not going to be any spread. Uh, Florida got some good news there because today they did announce of you know there's 87 football players that have been tested uh and 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 staff is what this includes staff nobody has tested positive and and they're still waiting on seven of the tests so 80 have come back negative good sign good sign there uh but you know, um, most of the team has shown up uh, for these voluntary workouts. 17 signees showed up over the weekend with Xavier Henderson and Jahiri Rogers showing up on Tuesday. Mordecai McDaniel, Finley Graham are expected to arrive later in June. Well, we have no idea how these players have taken care of themselves over these last few months. Some will show up in shape. Some will not. Some guys have continued uh, uh you know, to work out, and some guys thought this might be time to relax a little bit. Uh, that's going to be the case for every team out there, uh, and, and you know, it, it's going to happen. Every every team's going through that, but Nick Savage is going to ease them into it. Everyone figures everything out, and you know, taking the right precautions. Florida announced, as I said, you know, nobody has tested positive uh, for COVID so far. Uh, so football players, they've been tested. They're all good to go. Initial workouts have begun. Well, um, I feel sorry for these kids coming up later this week. <laughs> when everything, Nick Savage is okay. We got, we've warmed up these first couple of days. We're going to ease into it. But, uh, yeah, maybe even starting here on Tuesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, these players coming back, uh, especially the guys who haven't been taking care of themselves the last few weeks, last couple months. Uh, I, think they gotta, I think they're coming in for a rude awakening. Yeah, you would think so. I, I think Savage is going to test them and see who did what he told them to do when they went home and see who didn't. And, and I think that'll play a large role in, especially for the younger guys, who gets an opportunity to, to show during during fall practice. Because here's the reality. It sounds like they're going to have six weeks to prepare when it comes to fall practice. And so you're going to have limited reps. And some guy, you know, a guy who is a freshman or a sophomore who comes in and isn't in shape isn't going to get the same look as a guy who, who comes in and is in fantastic shape. And that's just the reality. So um, I'm sure they've made it clear to their players <laughs> over the last two or three months that, that, that they have certain expectations and that they probably got weight, um, weight goals for everybody and lifting goals for everybody and running goals for everybody. And they're going to make sure that they can hit them. So uh, I, I wouldn't want to be one of those guys this week. That's for sure. Well, uh, some not everything is good news uh, here. Uh, one player uh, that didn't show up and has to go the JUCO route is defensive lineman signee Johnny Brown. Brown's grades were, were not sufficient to get into Florida at this time. So he's going to head the JUCO route uh, to continue his playing career. Uh, he's been committed and signed to Florida for about a year and a half. Uh, was a signee along with defensive linemen with the likes of you know Gervin, Gervon Dexter, Lamar Goods, Jalen Lee, Princely Human Milan thought to be, you know, along the defensive tackles there with Dexter Good and Lee. So right there, not necessarily damaging since the three others were signed, but Brown was, you know, a four-star rated on the uh, 24-7 sports composite. 
top 300 player, rated 226 best player in the country on the 24-7 sports composite. So it hurts there. You do lose a pretty good player here. Also hurts Will because this is just another player who, who, who you know signed for Florida and won't suit up for the Gators. Now, he won't take a counter up since he never enrolled for the Gators, and hopefully he can get back in the fold. Um, like Juco's, you know, Dewan Black and D.R.V. Hammond are working to do right now, but you know, pair this with Isaiah Walker, who has recently transferred out, and you have two players from the 2020 class who won't suit up uh, for the Gators uh, coming up. So now that would also be kind of looked at as no more attrition out of a freshman class, maybe not right away uh, like these two guys, but one or two guys that won't play but on the heels of what has happened from in, in players from the previous two classes, uh, the attrition and, and the attrition that's come from those, you know, it does signal some kind of alarm uh, here. So now, look, I'll be the first to admit, not all these are on Dan Mullen uh, and the staff. There are some accountability uh, from the player involved and in, in ones that were in trouble off the field or, or couldn't make the grades. Some have played, some have never have played a down for Florida. Some are medical hardships. You know, there's a, a rough part of it there, but. Just willing it off, and, and you know, Bill Sykes, he and, he and I have talked a bit uh, the last couple of days in, in dealing with this. And Justin Watkins, Lucas Kroll, Malik Langham, Chris Bleich, John Huggins, Randy Russell, Noah Banks, Chris Steele, Dewan Black, R.J. Henderson, Jalen Jones, Diave Hammond, Wardrick Wilson, Johnny Brown, Isaiah Walker. Still waiting word on Leonard Manuel. We'll see uh, what happens there uh, for the Gators. But will I mean that's a lot of players. That's already fifteen, not counting Leonard Manuel there. He hasn't signed yet, can be included in this conversation because if he has the grades, he'll be a Gator. Uh, and, and if not, more than likely Ole Miss or the Juco route for him as well. And, you know, in talking with Bill, you know, he, he brought up a good point. That right now for Dan Mullen and, and staff equals out to about 17 and a half recruits per class when you're looking at about, you know, wanting to sign around 25 uh, per class. So, of course, we've hit on it plenty of times. Mullen's been able to make up for it a lot in the transfer portal. And for the foreseeable future, he'll have to. Uh, just to make up for this, he's going to have to continue to chase that route right now. I know other programs have attrition, but when you're trying to, to dig out of the, the subpar recruiting from Jim McElwain era uh, and improve the talent base at the same time, you know, getting bodies is an issue. So it, it may be an issue Mullen can fix. Uh, and hopefully we're done with that issue in this class but I'm just not sure how viable it is to continue to, to, to chase in the portal. I like to use the portal to get key players to make a difference in key spots, and, and hopefully that continues as well, just not to have to rely on it so much because of the attrition that's just added up in, in, in these last you know, three recruiting cycles. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you look at recruiting and you don't want to look at one recruit and say, hey, this guy's the most important recruit. You win some, you lose some, those sorts of battles you look at and you say, okay, sometimes we're going to win them, sometimes we're not. And, and you can deal with it if one guy doesn't, doesn't come to campus or if, you, or if you win one battle, you don't necessarily claim victory. The issue is, is we want to see, um, you know, we want to see consistency. And we, I mean, if he's going to have the ninth rated class, Let's get the full ninth-rated class in on campus, and that's been a problem over the last two or three years, and really been a problem ever since he came to Gainesville. And you could you could talk about guys who haven't made grades. You can talk about guys who've had discipline problems. You can talk about guys who've had injury. But the reality is is that um, most other programs are not having the same level of difficulty getting guys to 
get to their first fall camp. And that's happened a lot the last two seasons for Florida. And that's a problem. And what's going to end up happening eventually is that there's going to be a year and it may not be this year. It may not be next year, but there's going to be a year where Florida has the injury bug hit. And when the injury bug hits, they're going to have to, every single guy that they've recruited is going to have to turn out to be a good player. Otherwise they're going to struggle. And, and you see that you saw that a little bit in both the McIlwain and Muschamp years where maybe the recruiting, especially for Muschamp wasn't quite as bad from a, from a, from a national perspective, but there were certain position areas where he really didn't have the depth. And when they had injuries, you know, quarterback is one that I can think of specifically with Muschamp, where when you had an injury, well, all of a sudden you didn't have the, the guy behind him who could win games in the SEC. So that's something that could crop up. I think when you look at the overall talent level at Florida, it's increased from where it was with McIlwain. I think it's probably pretty close to on par with where it was with Muschamp. It's down below where it was with Meyer, and I think it's down below where it was with Spurrier as well. And and the reality is is that uh, those teams with Spurrier and Meyer were the class of the SEC. Um, the teams with Muschamp and McIlwain weren't. This is sort of in between, and we'll see whether Mullen's coaching abilities can overcome that, whether he can develop these guys in a way that's better than, than has been done in the past. But, you know, the reality is, is you recruit for – top end ability but you also recruit for depth and the guys who have left the program early over the last two or three years are really going to harm the depth eventually if florida starts to have injuries and you, know, you mentioned defensive tackle is a place where florida was pretty strong in that class same thing with with you know with isaiah Wynn leaving um Walker. Yeah, Walker, sorry, Isaiah Walker. <laughs> Isaiah Wynn's a George Bulldog. Yeah. That was the only reason I wanted to correct it. <laughs> Same thing with Isaiah Walker leaving, right? You look at it and say, hey, the offensive line is pretty strong. You bring in Reese as a transfer and those sorts of things. Um, but again, it only takes one or two injuries, and all of a sudden you got a true freshman out there. And, and that's sort of what they're looking at is there just isn't, you know, a senior goes down, there's not a junior waiting in the wings. It's a senior goes down, you're going to be a freshman or a sophomore with limited practice time and with the coronavirus, very limited practice time. And, and so that's just something Florida's going to have to overcome. It's not, you know, it's nothing I'm going to scream about. It's just, it is, right? <laughs> like that's, that's, it, it is the case that Florida's depth is going to be worse than some of those teams who've been pulling in 25, 26 guys a year, even if those programs have had, um, have had attrition they've had 25 man classes with two or three or four guys who have, who have had attrition out. Florida's had 20 man classes with four, two or three guys leaving. And, and that'll, that'll make a difference eventually. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I'm not trying to sound an alarm here or anything. I don't, I don't make more of it than it really is. It just, it definitely has to be discussed and, and talked about because especially the last class in the 2019 class, that was unprecedented to have that many guys who never played a snap for you. Uh, yes, some went through spring or whatever. You had them for just a little while. And some even played in the spring game. But, I mean, to, to have and, – and some of them – and the one part of this too, Will, is those names I rattled off, some of those were – the top end of your class. Some of those guys were the the best recruits of the class, in, in like Chris Steele, R.J. Henderson, and and Jalen Jones with the four star quarterback. You know, now you, you're seeing now where Florida's going to go chase a uh, not necessarily chase, but have to go get a second quarterback in this class. But you know, to make up for that loss of Jalen Jones here. Uh, I mean, you've had, a, a, like I said, and Johnny Brown was, you know, a four-star in his own right, three-star on rivals as well, but in the composite of 24, uh, seven sports composite, a, a four-star there. So, you know, I, I don't want to try and make too much of it. It's just, I, I definitely want fans to be in the know of, of, you know, if, 
if you, in your case, will you start seeing younger guys out there that maybe are not ready or out there before they're ready? Well, this is what you can go back and look at as as the case of why those guys are out there. Sure. I mean, I think Johnny Brown not not coming to Gainesville isn't the be all end all, right? We right. don't look at that exactly. and say, oh my God, uh, the sky is falling. Yeah. I think what you do though is you look at overall trends and you say that overall, this is something where Florida is going to have to improve. And whether that means identifying guys who are going to be able to get in, whether that means better background checks on guys who've had disciplinary issues, um, whether it means just having a better fit between the coach and the staff. And this is one of those things where when you're a number one class in the country and you lose a guy or two, you go, all right, well, that's fine. We still have plenty of depth. When you're a number nine team in the country and you lose a couple of guys it's like all right that depth becomes important and that's maybe where the where there are tipping points where you you know you sort of see the alabamas and the clemsons of the world are significantly ahead from a recruiting perspective and ohio there are tipping are significantly ahead of that next tier and florida was sort of on the tail end of that next tier but with some of the attrition they've had you probably put them on the third tier and and the sec you're going to play a lot of teams that are in that first tier lsu's probably just nipping at the heels of of getting in that first tier and georgia's up there too so um yeah yeah it's it's tough to win without the best players and and florida has brought in a lot of excellent players um but you know at the end of the day yes depth in the sec makes a big difference johnny brown's a good player he was going to make a difference and now he's not and and that's the reality so um florida's got to have somebody else step up um again i don't think we want to make a you know if this was a one-time incident we wouldn't be making a big deal of it but it seems like we're talking about this three times every off season, which is why it becomes disappointing because you just want to have an off season where you don't talk about it, where all 25 guys come make it to campus. And, you know, two years later, you're looking back and all 25 of them are contributing on the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll, of course, uh, have to get into some sad news here uh, in Gator nation from this past weekend and uh, the passing of uh, Rache Caldwell shot and killed outside of his home Saturday night and later died on the way to the hospital at age 41. And, Will, you had a nice piece over at readingreaction.com looking back at Caldwell and his time as a Gator and, and what it meant to you. And, you know, this one hurt Gator Nation a, a bit. You know, there were tweets and messages from the likes of Steve Spurrier, who coached Rache, and also a message from uh, Rex Grossman, one of Caldwell's quarterbacks during his time at Florida. A uh, quote from uh, Rex Grossman here on Twitter, rest in peace, Rache. You were one of my favorite teammates of all time. I will always remember our time at Florida for your unreal talent, infectious humor, and our shared success as a team. You will be missed by all your Gator family in the quote. Uh, Caldwell caught 27 passes as a freshman, Will, in 1999, added 49 as a sophomore, including six catches for a team high, 110 yards, and a loss to Miami in the Sugar Bowl. By that time, uh, his junior season come around, Caldwell team with quarterback Rex Grossman and fellow receivers Jabbar Gaffney and Taylor Jacobs to rewrite the school record books just coming from Scott Carter over at FloridaGators.com. The Gators led the nation in 2001, Steve Spurrier's final season with 405.2 yards passing per game. The UF record still stands and is 45 yards more than the second-place team, the 1995 Gators. Uh, in his final season, Caldwell caught 65 passes for 1,059 yards. The yardage total eighth on Florida's single-season list. Finished his career ranked eighth in career receptions with 141. And his 2,088 career yards ranked 11th in school history. Uh, he once caught a touchdown pass in 10 consecutive games, Will, and Mark topped in UF record book only by an 11-game streak by Rideau Anthony in 1996. Caldwell declared for the NFL draft after his redshirt junior season. 
San Diego Chargers second round pick in the 2002 draft, spending six seasons in the NFL with the Chargers, Patriots, and Redskins. And will the the connection you know with the Caldwell family also become became stronger because his little brother as well, uh, Andre signed with Florida in 2003 uh, and carried on that family tradition there. So you know both you know the younger Caldwell surpassed his, uh, some of his older brother's records and is the second uh, and is the school's all time leading receiver with 185 career catches. So. Well, the, the Caldwell family means so much to Gator Nation, and with everything going on in the world right now, you know, this just added to it all uh, on Sunday morning. You know, Rache holds a, a special place being a part of Steve Spurrier's final season, uh, being a part of a trio that also consisted of Jabbar Gaffney and Taylor Jacobs, and reminding people of those, that mid-90s trio with the fun and gun with, with Steve Spurrier. Uh, he was such a great all-around wide receiver and athlete, was a baseball star, too. Uh, so, you know, people – who interacted with him stressed how great of a person he was as well. Yeah. I think that's the thing that sort of came across when you were reading the tributes of his teammates and, and coaches and anybody who'd interacted with him was that he was a guy who was quick with a smile. He was a guy who was quick with a story and he was always somebody that everybody enjoyed hanging out with. And, and he left a, left a mark on him. And, you know, I think it says a lot that people like Tom Brady posted stuff on Twitter, you know, Brady, (laughs) what, you know, some of Caldwell's worst moments actually came with, with, with Brady at the helmet quarterback, just because, and, and really, replaced by randy moss after that after that 2006 season um but but brady still reached out and a bunch of his teammates in the nfl and in college reached out to him in particular rex grossman you already read that one i mean you know he's a big part of the 2000 sec championship team he was a big part of the 2001 team that sort of navigated through the 9-11 terrorist attacks and we're gonna talk a little bit later when we talk about that tennessee game at the end of the year but um you know, beyond that, I think Caldwell, Gaffney, and, and Jacobs were were that next incarnation of, of great Gator wide receivers. I know Spurrier talked a little bit this weekend on Twitter um, about Caldwell, but also, you know, about, about those guys being as good or, or better than, than Hilliard and, and Anthony. And, and, you know, that really was the feeling. The feeling was that team was unstoppable. And, you know, I was a kid from Indiana who moved down to Florida when I, in 1997, 99, I go to UF and all of a sudden the fun and gun is alive with those guys in there. And, um, you know, Caldwell might've been a little bit overshadowed by Gaffney because Gaffney always had a little bit better statistics, but you go back and you look at those games and man, <laughs> just the combination of those two, you, you couldn't double one guy or the other. Cause you were going to get burned no ma- the, the minute you decided decided to and and I, and I wrote in my article a little bit that you know we should have uh, part of the reason that Florida struggled when Ron Zook took over obviously is because of Ron Zook but part of the reason that they struggled is because they lost pretty much their entire wide receiving core except for Taylor Jacobs coming into that 2002 season and I think that says something about Gaffney it says something about Caldwell and their ability so um, you know somebody that I watched while I was there somebody who's pretty close to my age right he's three years older than I am he's got a 13 year old son um, that sort of thing just sort of takes your breath away when you hear somebody die at 41 of, of you know what sounds like a uh, a planned attack to, to come and rob him and potentially take his life. And, you know, your heart just goes out to the Gaff or to the Caldwell family. And, and uh, you know, certainly, like you said, with the connection to Florida, um, it, it's, it's one of our own who's, who's hurting right now and just, just really want to send our thoughts out to him and his family. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thoughts and prayers go out the, to the Caldwell family. And I think the funeral uh, is coming up soon uh, as well. The details. I didn't get the details before we came on air here, but I did. I did see that they were. I did see that they were released. So uh, everybody yeah. can go out there. Yeah, his mother was setting up a, a, a fund for his son's college education. So that's okay. if Gator. If Gator fans want to help out, um, if I if I get information, I'll pass it along so everybody can see it. I'm sure you will too. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So get back to some good news a bit here, Will, as we move on here on this episode of Gators Breakdown and a return to football somewhat as the players have made their way on campus, of course, this week as well. And also this week, the NCAA Oversight Committee has prepared a four-phase four plan uh, for the season that includes a six-week period of mandatory workouts that include walkthroughs in July and preseason camp beginning in early August. August. Uh, Sports Illustrated uh, was the first one with this report here. And this would be uh, a return to football in the form of uh, helping the time that was lost in the spring. Well, uh, due to the coronavirus, of course, um, the plan will need final approval from the Division One Council. It is expected to get approved here, which is tentatively scheduled for a meeting June 17th. So the details here, teams with season starting Labor Day weekend like Florida can begin working with their players in person as early as July 13th, at least 25 days before the first permissible preseason practice date. Teams participating in week zero games will be able to uh, move the proposed dates up one week in the calendar due to the games uh, set for late August. Those schools can believe, uh, begin mandatory workouts as early as July 6th. Uh, so here we go, Will. Players and coaches will be allowed to use a football in drills starting as early as July 24th, uh, July 20th, July 17th for week zero team. So Florida, July 24th is when they'll still start being able to use a football in drills uh, as they run through walkthroughs and meetings totaling 20 hours per week. Uh, that number is pretty important, Will, because spring practice is 20 hours per week as well over a 34-day window. So, there, so, when using, uh, so when using the football, this is about two weeks shorter <laughs> than that compared to a normal spring uh, it, it, with what they're given uh, or, or what they're proposing uh, this summer. Preseason practices can begin as soon as August 7th or 29 days before the team's first game. That was pretty much normal. Uh, going to be if, – if everything was fine, that was when – Fall, you know, camp was going to be uh, starting pretty much anyway. So, um, Will, man, they're trying. They're moving ahead uh, to get things back to normal here. And this looks to be, you know, besides that little, you know, starting in July, on July 24th, when they're being able to use football and drills, uh, pretty close uh, to normal and a little something to make up for spring. Yeah, I mean, they're going to – look, they, they, they don't have the ability to do that. You can't put a guy through a 10-week spring yeah. camp or through a 10-week fall camp and then make him play a full season. I just don't think that's fair, and, and they're not going to do that. Hopefully, um, they can use the time that they've got with Savage over the next two or three weeks to or next month or so to, to really get these guys prepared because that's my biggest concern is that we're going to see a lot of injuries because guys weren't able to work out, guys weren't able to stay – in prime condition and then you bring them back and all of a sudden you start seeing some injuries once you start doing uh the football activities and you know i'm not i'm talking like hamstrings and mm-hmm. things like that that are, that are going to pop up and maybe maybe um you know haunt people throughout the season so you sort of hope you don't see that you hope people are ready when it's time to go um the big thing i think and, and i didn't really even think about it until you you mentioned the week zero and the week one this year is last year may actually end up being more important for florida than i had originally maybe thought. So last year, Florida had that early game with Miami Mm -hmm. and then had the extra bye week throughout the year. And you do wonder whether some of those guys who were, who were early enrollees, guys who were freshmen, who red, who redshirted, maybe even some of the sophomores who were backups, maybe got some time last year in the fall that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise, just because of that second bye week. And, um, you know, that may pay off this year because Florida's a pretty experienced team. A lot of these guys coming back, you know, I I suspect there's going to be a large learning curve for the freshmen, but I also suspect that at the end of the day, 
day, if those guys aren't really going to be difference makers, they're probably just going to redshirt because of the because of the way things are going this year. And some of that extra time guys got last fall may end up being a big deal because they're going to be further along in the playbook. This is one of the areas where um, the continuity at Florida over the last three years becomes really important, mm-hmm. particularly when you look at some of the opponents. I mean, right when you look at Georgia and all of the changes there, when you look at LSU, all the guys going to the NFL, but but Brady going to the to the Panthers. Um, there's not a lot of continuity in the SEC right now, except for at Alabama, and there they're trying to deal with uh, with Tua leaving. So, you know, it's it's prime it's a prime opportunity for Florida to take it, to take advantage of the experience that they have, and sort of pack you know hit the ground running at that six week mark and make sure that everybody is is uh, is ready to go. And then obviously Florida has a pretty pretty lax schedule early on too, so there will be some opportunities to maybe extend. Camp a little bit. I'm. I, I don't think Florida's maybe necessarily really gearing up for Eastern Washington this year the same way they were for <laughs> Miami. Yeah, I don't think so either. They we. Uh, they yeah. I mean, uh, and I was looking. We'll get into it. Preseason magazines uh, are out, and uh, I just quickly was trying to catch a glance. There's an FCS section there, and Eastern Washington I think was ranked twentieth in the FCS there. So yeah, that's in the uh, should be another uh, cupcake. Uh, prepare for Kentucky <laughs> kind, of, kind of weak there because uh, the problem that team has gave Florida over the last two years, you know, Florida needs uh, all the prep they can get uh, for Kentucky. Well, well, that makes a difference, right? I yeah. mean, isn't, isn't USC starting off the year playing against Alabama? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Florida had that game coming up this year, we'd be like, all right, you got six weeks to prepare. Yeah. This is pretty intense. But really, you've got seven weeks to prepare if you figure that that, that, that um, Eastern, Eastern Washington game is going to be a cupcake. Kentucky, I think Kentucky's a team you got to look out for. But, I mean, let's be honest. Florida's aspirations this year are to make it to the playoff. They need to be able to dispatch a yeah. team like Kentucky, even if they don't play their best. And then you're not really playing anybody of even remotely equivalent talent until you until you come up against LSU. Maybe you could say that the Tennessee game on the road is a little bit of a challenge. But, again, Tennessee hasn't shown anything over the last two years to make us think against a quality team that they're going to be able to hold up. So, you know, Florida probably has a little bit of time to get ready beyond just that camp. That is one of the things that both the experience for the Gators, but then also that schedule, I think, does, does point towards them having an advantage coming out of this pandemic in a way that maybe some other teams don't. Yep, yep, yep. All right, well, ball talk. <laughs> Support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Get him and yourself the Manscaped Perfect Package. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. The Perfect Package 3.0 Kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Cordless Body Trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents, nick-free shaving thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. And of course, let's not forget about the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, right? So why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? When you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit at manscaped.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. 
the shared travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. This is an awesome Father's Day gift. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code GATERS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code GATERS at manscaped.com. Will, you got yours. I did. You had one sent my way. It's uh, it, it's awesome, man. I, I got to say, people should go out there and pick one up. It's certainly worth uh Worth the money and worth the worth the uh, the double entendre when you when your friends come over anyway. <laughs> Man, they're commercials. Have you seen Have you seen them on like ESPN and stuff? Hey, they're creative. That's I, I can give it to them for that. So, they are. They are. We, we we appreciate the sponsorship and uh, and I appreciate my uh, my care package. Yeah, you know, working for News for Jackson stuff, I kind of have to play it on the safe side of. Uh, you know, I can't go crazy like with their commercials sometimes, but, uh, you know, chopping up a hot dog and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I'm glad you're taking the high road, Dave. Yeah, I try to take the high road a little bit, but, uh, you know, you can just picture all that stuff <laughs> or, or not. Yeah, probably our listeners would prefer we, uh, we yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well. Something, like I said, something we have planned for a little while. We'll call it this or that. Everybody, if you follow me on Twitter, I've been kind of sharing the uh, message the last week or so. And just a, a good little fun conversation here of, uh, you know, some choices, preferences uh, that we uh, that we can have some fun with. So the first one, we'll start with this or that. And it's uh, Urban Meyer or Steve Spurrier. And I think there's so many ways to look at this one. And basically, who would you prefer? Who do you like better? However you want to define it, you can define it. But uh, well, this one, this one, man, this one's tough for a person my age. You know, I just turned 30, 30, 37 last week. I'm right in the middle of that, you know, growing up with Steve Spurrier, but then, you know, watching Urban Meyer come in uh, in my you know early college years and experiencing all the winning that he did and, and bringing two national championships. And so I remember more of what Urban Meyer did because I was growing up with Steve Spurrier and, you know, but, you know, I was still you know, 10, 11, 12, you know, just getting into to, to football, learning what football was about, it being fun, but also having a whole lot of other things in my memory, <laughs> you know, go to play video games or, or go chase girls or, or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the deal was. That's just, you know, what it was. Uh, you're learning to drive and, you know, not really wanting to stay home on a Saturday, you know, watch Florida, but then go out. Uh, didn't, didn't care for college football as much as I do now, you know. So just being a, being a kid uh, during those Steve Spurrier years and then becoming a diehard Gator fan, um, the tail end of Spurrier and, and following Zook and, and Meyer and Muschamp all the way up to now. It, it, this one's tough. I, I'll probably, you know, I know I'll take a lot of people off of this. I'll, I'll say Urban Meyer. I was able to enjoy that more just because of my age. I was able to, to go more to, to more of the games. Uh, my, the job that I work at, I was able to be on the sideline a lot and be close to the players, interview the players a, a, a lot. So I was much closer to those, to those Meyer year teams and, and winning two national championships. And, you know, we'll get into it, which our, our, our favorite national championship year is, but, you know, going, uh, you know, to, to, to Glendale and telling you didn't have a chance to go beat Ohio state and you go beat Ohio state. And then a couple of years later, Oh, there's no way you can stop that Oklahoma offense. And you win that and, and you, and you win, um, that championship as well. So, with this one, um, now I'll, I'll go Urban Meyer, but uh, of course, you know Steve Spurrier still holds a, a close dear. I mean, he's Gator through and through. Uh, 
if you want to talk about totality, you've got to go Spurrier as you count his player, him playing and winning the Heisman Trophy and coming back and coaching and, and doing all the winning and setting the standard uh, for what we know the Gators to be. But for me, being able to enjoy much more of it, I'll go with Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean, so I mentioned earlier, I didn't really become a big Florida fan until 98, 99, once I decided I was going to come to Florida because I grew up in Indiana. I was an Indiana basketball fan, <laughs> moved down to Florida back in 97. So, you know, for seven of those years, I knew of Spurrier. I knew um, what he was doing in college football, but it wasn't necessarily my team. And so that does impact things a little bit. The interesting thing is, you know, you think of Meyer as sort of being just a, a real flash, right? I mean, it's six years yeah. at Florida, but the two national championships, and you're like, oh, that team never lost. But it turns out his winning percentage is almost identical to Spurrier. In fact, Spurrier is a little bit higher, just barely. They're both basically at 81% when you look at their winning percentage. Um, you know, the, the thing I think that maybe differentiates the two is that Meyer – it doesn't feel like ever lost a game that involved bragging rights for us as fans. The, and, and I'm sure he did. And I'm sure there are, 2000, there are 2007, Georgia. Yeah, well, but he, he definitely made yeah, up for he made it, up for it. Right? <laughs> which was also part of it. I mean, we enjoyed – I mean, that was the thing about Spurrier, right, is that he, he had the – he had the ability to insult people without coming off as a complete a-hole as opposed to Meyer who absolutely came off yeah. as a complete a-hole while he was insulting people. And, and, you know, part of that was great. Like you, you love it when you're sticking it to people, but then obviously when you go through some tough times there um, towards the end, then, then everybody takes glee in it. But that to me is the big thing is that Tennessee, Florida never lost to Tennessee under Meyer, Florida, Never lost to Florida State under Meyer. Lost to Georgia once. Um, LSU was always a really good game. Lost to them in 2007 as well. But, again, 2008, 2006, we're able to win those games. I think you were on the sideline for the jump pass in 2006. I was in the stands. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those sorts of things. There are memories that stand out from there that are just more vivid for me, and I think a lot of it has to do with age. But, you know, the other thing is, is that I graduated in 2004, so Meyer comes in in 2005, and my dad moved up to, moved up to Gainesville, and so we started going to games together once a year or mm. twice a year then at that point. And so there's a, there's a sentimental aspect of the Urban Meyer years where, you know, dad and I are going to the games and then my brother started coming and, you know, now we've usually got a niece or a nephew who comes with us too. So it's like a group of four or five of us who go to the games. It's a yearly tradition. And it's sort of the grounding that I have in Gainesville, even though, um, you know, even though I've moved away and, and I'm not there, I'm not able to get there for every game, but being able to go with family it sort of makes a bigger difference now, right? Like we plan vacations and trips around getting down there for football games. And, and, and I took my daughter a few years ago and my son's still not quite old enough to do it yet based on his level of maturity, but I'm going to eventually take those guys when they get old enough. Um, so it, it turned into more of a family thing under the Meyer, Meyer regime. And so it really, I mean, so, you know, if you ask me, do I prefer Muschamp or McIlwain to Spur, I'd probably say those two just because there's the familial aspect to it. Though, obviously, the winning was much, much more significant under Spurrier. And really, he sort of woke the sleeping giant, right? I mean, he established Florida as a national power, um, not only in 1996 winning the title, but 1995 going undefeated. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, the poor loss or the, the terrible loss in the Fiesta Bowl. But still getting there, I think, was a big deal for Florida. And you look back at where they were under Spurrier just from, like, a national rank standpoint. I mean, they're 13th in 1990, 7th in 91, 10th in 92, 5th in 93, 7th in 94, 2nd in 95, 1st in 96, 4th in 97, and 5th in 98, and then 3rd in 2001. 
I mean, basically they were a top 12 team from 1990 until 2001 when he left. And and that's something that you can't say about Urban Meyer's teams, right? I mean, Urban Meyer has a couple of number ones, but he's also got a couple of unranked or ranked 25th at the end of the year. And, and, uh, and, and, and Spurrier never had that. So sort of the highs with Meyer were higher, the lows were lower. Um, but, you know, you look back at those rivalry games, and that's one of the things that I think all the fans are starting to get a little bit anxious about with, uh, with Mullen is he needs to win that rivalry game against Georgia because his predecessor and everybody that he's going to be compared against um, won those games against Georgia. So um, I'd say Meyer too, but, again, that, that has more to do with the familial, familial aspect than it does what he did for the program. Yeah, if it wasn't for, you know – me being a bit closer to the, the program than um, my age. If, if it was just, I think, a blanket, just look back, everything kind of on a clean slate. If I wasn't so involved with that, those Meyer teams, I probably would go Spurrier just because of, I mean, there's probably no Urban Meyer without a Steve Spurrier. Uh, he's, like you said, he set the baseline. He put Florida on the map. I mean, Florida had some good seasons before that. He put Florida on the map as a Heisman Trophy winner in the 60s. Uh, and then brought it back again in the 90s as a coach. Um, it's just, I, I can't take my part of it away. <laughs> so that's that's why, like, kind of like you, I, I, that's just why I end up going with Meyer. And I would say I appreciate what Spurrier did more than I appreciate what Meyer there did. There you go. But there's just a closeness yeah. in Meyer area that Meyer era that someone my age looks at, and the memories are fresh, right? Yeah. I mean, the the there's, the a major, there's a recency bias to it. Yeah, the hit by major right against Oklahoma, yeah. the interception by Ahmad Black against Oklahoma, the um, you know the the light bulbs flashing when Tim Tebow was out there for his last game against Florida State, the game in the mud against Florida State, the timeouts against Georgia, all those sorts of things, the jump pass against LSU, and then the the fake run that we'd never seen before when he hit Lewis Murphy mm-hmm. wide open streaking down the field. Like those are things that I'm sure people who went to school at Florida back in '95, '96, '97. Um, remember about about Spurrier's teams. That's just what we remember because of where we were from an age perspective. All right, next one's fun too. Preference. Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain. So this one, uh, man, there's two ways to look at it here. Okay. Muschamp grew up in Gainesville, went to Georgia, came back, um, you know, killed the opening press conference of the reason he grew up in Gainesville. I walked to the stadium with the games. Um, and you know, much for all intents and purposes, he was a good guy. I mean, it was you could have a conversation, you feel like you could have a conversation with, with Will Muschamp. Jim McElwain had the benefit of winning the SEC East twice, uh, in a down SEC. You could, you know, give him credit for that. He did take the Gators to Atlanta, but after you know, getting or got their brains beat in by FSU the week before, and then ended up getting their brains beat in by Alabama the week after that as well. Uh, but you know, did take teams to Atlanta, so there was more of a winning aspect, uh, to Jim McElwain. Uh, made Florida football fun again a bit, you know, in 2015, you had the big win, um, over, over Tennessee in, in the swamp with Greer to Callaway, of course, and then, um, uh, and then the big win versus Ole Miss when they come into town, you know, it, then it kind of all kind of crashing, crashing down once uh, Will Greer uh, out there. And then it just kind of, from from that point on, it just got really weird with Michael Wayne. I know the Hurricane game the next year with LSU and making the goal line stand, uh, it's still one of the best moments in Gator history, Gator football history, just with the way I think the way fans felt at that moment, um, but only later to go on and, like I said, get beat in the SEC championship game again. But a lot of those were because of 
will must champs players <laughs> and will and they're in the and the recruits and, and the players will must champs signed uh there so I, I think you know with the the friendly aspect of it and i think looking back on it you know you didn't didn't necessarily hate will must champ because of the kind of person he was it's just he didn't get the job done he couldn't win games he lost inexplicably game inexplicable games ended up just getting canned mainly because of that uh you know when he's on the hot seat goes and ends up beating georgia and then a week later gets his brains beat in by missouri in his last season and just and then the inexplicable south carolina loss uh uh as well toward the end of his career so i think Choosing between these two, I'm going to choose Will Muschamp just because I, I, I like him better. Jim McElwain did win more, but came off brash, came off harsh to the media, just never really embraced much uh, of being a, a Gator head coach, it seemed. Um, didn't embrace the fan base, the media at the same time, and then the whole death threats thing, Will, that, that we all remember. We had episodes about that uh, back in the time. We always wanted progress in year three, and you had the credit card nine and, and getting your brains beat in by Michigan to start the season. Uh, it just ended so much uglier under Jim McElwain than it did under Will Muschamp, even though McElwain had much more success in his first two seasons. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I, I guess the first season for, for Muschamp, I sort of say, all right, he took over Urban Meyer's program, and by Meyer's own admission, the program was broken, and then he goes 11-2 and two the next year, and the loss to Louisville really colors that one yeah, because you, you forget how good that team was and how close they were to playing for the national championship. And then, obviously, the next year, I mentioned earlier in the episode the the depth at the quarterback position. You, know, you got Skylar Morenweg playing for an injured for you know Jeff Driscoll goes out and then Tyler Murphy goes out and all of a sudden you got Morhenweg in at quarterback and it's not really fair though obviously the Georgia Southern game I think is the one that maybe sticks in people's crawl for that one and by then it was basically over they let him go for one more year but that seven and five season wasn't going to be enough I'm not sure quite honestly that 10 and two would have been enough that year with the way people felt but we didn't know what was coming next so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you I prefer the Muschamp era to the McIlwain era the only place that I prefer the McIlwain era is I was writing by the time McIlwain took over and, mm. and, and well in 2016 I guess is when I started writing so I was, I was writing through most of that era which meant you know I sort of got to see the highs got to see the lows got to um, got to really start to delve into what makes a coach good and what makes a coach not so good and and McIlwain quite honestly from a co- on-field coaching perspective did a pretty decent job those first two years pulled out some games that he probably shouldn't have I mean you mentioned the the Greer to Callaway game but you know the Felipe Franks yeah. deep throw and and he was he was unbelievable in one score games for a really long time until finally just sort of the, the pixie dust ran out there in year three um you know, McElwain was more entertaining. I mean, Muschamp would lose and just say, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix yeah. it. Like, I'll get that fixed. It's like, all right, could you do that? All right. I mean, at least McElwain kept us on our toes a little bit and and uh, gave us gave us reason to get rid of him. I'm pretty sure in year four, uh, Gator fans would have enjoyed having having a reason to get rid of Muschamp like they did with McElwain. But, I mean, obviously, I think I prefer Muschamp because um, – you know, the players were, were not getting in trouble. He made a point. I think it was Janoris Jenkins that he got rid of right away when he came in, made a point to make discipline a, a central tenant of what he was doing. And it really seems like he cared about his guys. So even after he moved on, um, when he came back and played Florida, those yeah. guys really, really, really embraced him and, and, and loved him as a head coach. I don't know that you can say the same thing about McIlwain. And the fact that 
I felt like he didn't teach his, treat his players as well as Muschamp is really what tips the scales here. Is I, I thought McIlwain was critical of his players and left them out there to answer questions that he should have really been the one out there answering or he should have had Nussmeyer out there answering. And he was leaving Franks and other guys out there to do that. So, um, you know, it's, it's not really close for me. Muschamp's the guy that I prefer as the head coach. But uh, as, as a writer, McIlwain certainly gave plenty of fodder. <laughs> and that 2012 season was so much fun, too. Uh, with, with, as you said, the, the Louisville game put a sour on it. But that 12, that 2012 season was a lot of fun with going to Texas A&M and then going to Tennessee the very next week and getting two wins there. Um, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. Beating LSU at home uh, as well was a, was a season to remember uh, there. So we'll get into a little bit, too, with the uh, disappointing loss to Georgia here. So, Will, probably uh, one of the more interesting ones here. Favorite national championship season or game, however you want to decide it, 96, 06, or 08. 96, of course, the first one. And then in 95, you know, you're getting beat by Nebraska. You had an undefeated season, as you mentioned earlier. You get demolished by Tommy Frazier and Lawrence Phillips in Nebraska in 95, but able to, to bounce back the next year and, and, and get beat by FSU in, in the season finale. Some things happen uh, there. You could beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Um, and uh, the, uh, the Big 12 championship game, I think, to what, Texas lost uh, there to, to open up the door. Texas beat Nebraska. Dang, I kind of forget about that now, <laughs> uh, of which way it went. And then Arizona State uh, and Ohio State in, in the bowl game. And Florida finds themselves uh, needing a victory over FSU uh, in the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, 50, uh, and, and 52 points are put up. And, and the Gators are national champions over Florida State for the first national championship there in program history. And then fast forward 10 years, just 100 years of of Gator football and second season under Urban Meyer and nobody Florida was a top 10 team going into 2006 but nobody was picking Florida to, to win the national championship in 2006 even after winning the SEC championship game and and, and matching up versus uh, Ohio State there you know Michigan and Ohio State had just come off you know probably the umpteenth game of the century that the media likes to point out once every year uh you know one versus two and all you know they should have a rematch you know Florida doesn't deserve to be there they can't score points uh everything's just defense and barely beat South Carolina with the the cop block with Jarvis Moss and big wins versus uh LSU at home that year and uh, all that good stuff and I mean it was yeah, it, it wasn't pretty all all of 2006 but the Gators kept finding a way to win uh end up you know beating Arkansas uh, in the SEC championship game. And as I mentioned earlier, going to Glendale and being told for a month that they didn't have a chance to beat Ohio State. Troy Smith wins the Heisman Trophy, and you know, Florida didn't have a chance against the Heisman Trophy winner and, and the Buckeyes and, and come out and just beat the brakes off of Ohio State, 41-14, a game that wasn't really even all that close after Ted Ginn takes the opening uh, touchdown there. And then 2008, two years later, you know, everything's going Offense is humming along. Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin. You had the uh, promise after the old Miss game, and after that, you know Florida finds their way. About the second half of the Arkansas game, the the game after that, the uh, old Miss game, and just goes on a tear, destroys everybody. Uh, a top ten LSU team comes to the swamp, and Florida destroys them, and didn't just really didn't look back. Sets up a, a one versus two matchup versus Alabama in the SEC championship game, and win that game without Percy Harvin, who he's injured, and Percy Harvin comes back for the national championship. And look, there was. There was no way, you know, 24 to 14 was the final score. 24 to 14 was the final score versus that Oklahoma team that just seemed to be putting up 60 points week in and week out. Oh, there's no way 
uh, that Florida defense can, can can hang with that offense that snaps the ball you know, every 12 seconds or so. Well, Florida held that team to, to 14 points. So this one will – a little tough. In 96, 06, 08, little recency – like with the Meyer-Spurrier conversation, little recency bias uh, with this one as well. It's tough. Um, 96, the first, of course. You never forget your first. That one's special. 06, 08 – I have a hard time uh, choosing between uh, those two. I think I go 2006. Uh, 2008 was special. Dad and I went down to Miami, watched the national championship game together. But 2006, I think that that, that whole season it was my, as I mentioned earlier, the first season where uh, I was I got close to the team. I was on the sideline for every home game, some of the away games too. Uh, and then being told for a straight month that you didn't have a chance to win and you go out there and route Ohio State. Uh, it was one of the, it was so much fun looking back at that game. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think 96 is pro- – so 08 is probably the one that's my least favorite just because there were expectations and, and Florida fulfilled those expectations. I remember exactly where I was sitting when they lost to Old Miss yeah. and exactly what my feeling was when, when they missed the extra point and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's not like I wasn't paying attention. It's not like I wasn't invested. But that's the one where the expectations were highest and they fulfilled the expectations. But when, you're, when your reality meets expectations, you go, all right. Um, 96, I think, was cool, if for no other reason, because of the adjustments. When you go back and look, that Danny Werfel was getting just absolutely blasted and blasted late. If, if, mm. if you listen to most anybody who's not a Florida State fan, when they were playing Florida State at Doak and, and Florida State jumped out in front and then they almost came back and, and won that game. But then also to then just lay it on him in the Sugar Bowl, um, you know, the, the pass to Reed L. Anthony where he broke everybody's ankles when he caught the ball and then reversed, you know, reverse pivoted and went to the end zone. And it's your first, right? And and that first one really sort of puts you on the map. But but that's also why I think 06 is special because there's a lot of programs. I mean, you look at Colorado, you look at Georgia Tech, um, BYU, programs like that that have won one national championship in their history. Uh, I think what well, Georgia's won too, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But um, you, you look at programs like that that only have one championship, you go, okay. Like there, there are teams that ebb and flow in terms of being the blue bloods in, in, uh, in college football. And Florida proved that they're a blue blood in, in 06 by winning their second championship with a different coach. There's also some underrated stuff from that uh, from that 2006 team. So they beat Central Florida 42 to nothing in the second game of the year, and uh, Central Florida decided to beg out after that and not play us anymore. <laughs> so that is, uh, you know, obviously 06 <laughs> has a special place there. Um, took down Alabama, LSU, and and Georgia with mm-hmm. a loss to Auburn on the road. And and you know, Florida's never had an undefeated season, but I almost consider that that game against Auburn a win because they were up, I think it was um yeah, they were up seventeen to eleven when Leak had that ball where he where he mm-hmm. threw the ball and they called it a fumble and it got returned for a touchdown the other direction. I think Florida wins that game if they don't have that that pop up. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, that stretch would have been Alabama, LSU at Auburn and Georgia Mm. with four straight wins. And then Florida state was still, was still good back in 2006. They weren't great, but they were still good. Then an Arkansas team that was actually really good, the eighth eighth ranked team in the country. And then you already mentioned Ohio state. So it's sort of, and I, I just sort of glossed over the South Carolina game, which was probably the yeah. most most uh, most memorable game of that year. Again, I go back to the the game against LSU 
is one that's just memorable because of the things that happened in there. The game against Auburn is memorable because of the stuff that happened, even though it was on the bad side. I barely remember the Georgia game that year, which is which is interesting. Yeah. There was so much other stuff that was going on. The South Carolina game, I was supposed to be over at my grandmother's house for dinner, and I showed up like an hour and a half late, and my uncle's just like, we get it, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing about that game is I was doing some freelance work for uh, Comcast at the time when they would re-show, replay games for the South Carolina side. They needed a freelance camera guy uh, there. So I was like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it. I was from, you know, I was five feet away from Steve Sprayer with a camera right in his face waiting for his reaction to that final field goal that Jarvis Smalls blocks. And all Steve Sprayer does is just give that all shuck smile that he does, you know, and he just, you could tell he was disappointed, but it was just like a all oh, dang it kind of kind of kind of smirk that that the Steve Spurrier is kind of known for and it was it was the moment I'll never forget it was just I was you know just I, I could have I could have I could have talked to him I could have high-fived him if I wanted to but just but you know it felt weird just having a camera right in his face just waiting for whatever reaction there was so I was kind of I had the camera I, I, I kind of I, I widened the camera out a little bit so I wouldn't lose the shot but I was like you know what I, I have to I have to watch this I have to peek at this field goal kick so it was just uh it was uh it was it was a, definitely a moment in time just that whole little timeout and and, and field goal thing that I'll, I, that I'll never forget the whole two or three minutes I'm just sitting there with a the camera right in his face waiting for his reaction well, and the fun, I mean, the, the nice thing is it couldn't have ended any better for Florida fans, right? You win the game, but Spurrier comes in and proves what a fantastic coach he is yeah. because he really was outgunned in that game and, and, and comes into the swamp and really makes everybody sweat. Um, it's a memorable, memorable game for everybody. You know, I mean, it has its own name. It's got a place in Florida lore. Um, at the same time, it leads to a national championship for Urban Meyer. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you, you root for Spurrier until he's playing against your team and then Spurrier comes in and really shows out and I think shows what a great coach he was I'm not sure it could have ended up any better for Florida fans I'm sure Spurrier would have liked to have seen the field goal go through but uh, but couldn't have worked out any better for Florida fans and again I think that's sort of maybe why the 06 season sticks out is just the number of memories the things that I remember from that particular season are are fresher I'm sure part of it is just fresher again but I still think it's that that second one makes a difference right the first one there are a lot of programs out there that have one national championship um there, there aren't a lot of teams out there that have two and certainly then putting the icing on the cake with that 08, there are very few programs that have three. And so to have three national championships, three Heisman trophies, I think really does start to set Florida apart from different programs. Whereas before that you could have said, well, you know, the program really started in 1990 when Spurrier came. Well, now it's, it's three decades of excellence. Mm. And uh, you know, so that 06 season was sort of the gateway to, to establishing that as the way Florida's programs viewed. All right. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you start with the next one. Who do you hate more, Florida State or Georgia? Uh, people who've listened to this podcast, they, they kind of know my answer for, for a little bit, Will, but uh, I, I'm interested to get your get your take on this. Uh, as you said, uh, that you, you, went, you came to Florida uh, in, the, in the 2000s from up north, so I'm interest, interested to get your outlook on who, you do, who do you despise more, the Seminoles or the Bulldogs? You know, it's funny. It, it oscillates because I absolutely yeah, hate Georgia more. I hate Georgia more right now. Um, because they're the main competitor and Florida State has really struggled, especially with, with Taggart. Um, but I would say for the most part, it's been Florida State because if you think about the Spurrier years, Bowden really had not didn't have Spurrier's number, but you know that was a pretty even thing. You've got the choke at Doak. You've got all the different things where where Florida wasn't able to come on top, and and Florida State was really 
you know, Florida, Florida State was almost always first shot to play for the national championship for almost a decade. And and you always had Florida State playing Miami. So you sort of had the state title going up for between those three. And, and that was really the big deal. And and Bowden was was it right. The other thing is, is that Spurs beat Georgia like a drum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was continuous, and then, and then Urban Meyer beat Georgia like a drum. So for the most, for most of my lifetime, Georgia hasn't been much of a threat to Florida, and Florida's had bragging rights a lot like we have bragging rights over Tennessee right now, right? So the rivalry with Tennessee has lulled because Tennessee hasn't has been sort of the little brother um, for for you know twenty five years now. But if Tennessee starts to get better, well, that rivalry is going to get a little bit spicier, and that sort of happened with me in Georgia recently. But uh, now, for, as somebody who didn't grow up in the South, as somebody who didn't grow up in Georgia, um, Georgia obviously is a rivalry game. You want to win that game, but with as much success as Florida had, Florida State was always the one that I pointed to and said, "This is the one that's most important." And and you know, from a recruiting perspective, that's still actually pretty true. But uh, but obviously, want, want to get this want to get this one this year against Georgia and and um, levels of hate, Dave. Levels of hate, not necessarily <laughs> not hate one and can deal with the other. It's just levels. Absolutely, we'll have to do this again. You brought up uh, you brought up Tennessee. Next time we do a this or that. We'll have to do Tennessee or LSU. I think that'll be. I think that'll be a good one there. Uh, so, uh, but well, with, I mean, come on, man! It's been like three decades since Tennessee's been any good. So you might have to throw Kentucky in there. There, there may be a better rival than uh, Tennessee at this point. Maybe so. Maybe so. They've definitely played us closer the last two years. So, uh, uh, yeah. Um, this one, yeah. As I said, people follow me for any length of time. They know this is Georgia for me and it's not even close. I, I grew up in Georgia. I had to, luckily when I was going to grade school and high school and all that stuff, as you said, Will, um, we beat the crap out of Georgia. I had bragging rights all, all throughout school, going to school in Georgia. So they couldn't, couldn't say much to me, but I, I got pranked. They would, they would, uh, and it was all 95% of it was all in good fun. They would take my gator tag on my truck and turn it upside down. Or, uh, but one time I had some Georgia buddies of mine, um, we were out uh, in, in the parking lot there at my high school, and they lifted my truck up off the ground just enough to where I couldn't really tell. So I get in my truck, and I knew something was up. They're all sitting there, and I go to put it in reverse and go, and can't go anywhere because the back tire is up about you know five inches off the ground that I didn't really <laughs> even notice. But, you know, fun, fun thing, things like that. But, yeah, it, the, the game itself, I mean, look, Florida – we talked about you know Steve Spurrier coming in in 1990. Florida put themselves on the map in the SEC, and Steve Spurrier knew it. I mean, he took that game personal. He couldn't beat Georgia as a player. He took it so personal, but he knew if Florida wanted to do anything in the SEC, if they wanted to do anything in the country, if they wanted to go to Atlanta, you have to beat Georgia, and that, that was his mindset, and that it, it made the difference in, in Florida football program, uh, with, with, along with Steve Spurrier and him knowing that is you got to go beat Georgia. Um, so, you know, it's personal for me growing up in Georgia and all that stuff, but it, you know, Florida's never been to Atlanta in since the inception of the SEC championship game, Florida's never been to Atlanta and, and lost to Georgia in the same season. So it tells you how important that game is every year as well. So the importance of it, uh, I think, you know, speaks, uh, speaks to that part as well, but yeah, just a pure hatred of, uh, of that red and black and people barking like dogs and, you know, the game being here in Jacksonville, uh, of course, where uh, I was you know, born and raised most of, most of my life and then coming back to Jacksonville, the game holds a special part in my heart. But, uh, yeah, I despise Georgia much more. As far as Florida State, yeah, you can't forget the 90s uh, there and 
it was close. I won't, I won't, when Jimbo started his run there at FSU, uh, it, it did, because we were still beating Georgia for the most part uh, at that time. So, yeah, it did, that gap did close a bit, but I'm not sure anything can ever happen to where I'll despise any team more than I despise Georgia. Well, well, let me ask you, have you, have you had a good time telling your Georgia friends recently that they're like the Buffalo Bills of college football? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> You get there to those championship games against Alabama and, and lose against a backup quarterback. I mean, that, that's been the thing is that if Georgia was winning national titles, then you're like, okay, there's not really any bragging rights here yeah. for Florida and Georgia's coming through. Um, but as long as they keep choking at the finish line, it's, uh, it's really just fodder for us as opposed to uh, – We can still hang on to our 1980 jokes. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I mean, hang on to the the 2017, 2018, 2019 jokes too, because yep. they got smoked by LSU this past year. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, I despise Georgia too, but the the reality is is that just I mean the the, the image that I have in my head is just of Spurrier, of never worrying about Georgia. Yeah. That it was like, we're going to win. Like, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what happens. We're going to pull that one out. And when it came to Florida State, it was a 50-50 proposition, maybe even a little bit less than that. And so it was a special thing when you beat Florida State back in the 90s, as opposed to the expectation of beating Georgia. And, you know, like Eric Zier and those teams, they were sort of 8-5, and five, you know, 9-4, and four, those sorts of things. They weren't they weren't 11-2 and two very often that I, that I recall from back then. So maybe my memory is just faulty, but... Um, <laughs> You know, Georgia was sort of a cute program, but not necessarily the program that Florida needed to beat to get to where they wanted to go. Whereas Florida State was definitely sort of the beast of 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 the the, uh, beast on the schedule that they needed to be able to take care of at a conference. And and that's also where once the SEC started to get stronger and stronger and stronger, um, Georgia was a part of that. Right. And and Florida State sort of waned for for a few years in there while Georgia got stronger. So, uh, look, I. If I grew up in Georgia, I would be right where you are. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, those Florida State rivalries, the, those were those were fun games. Oh, those yeah. were can't-miss TV and, uh, you know, certainly a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, like I said, it's more, it's more personal for me than anything. So that's the reason I lean Georgia. Last one, Will. Here we go. Which one hurts the most, 2001 versus Tennessee or 2012 versus Georgia? This one's a little bit tough as well here. I go back and forth on this one a, a, a bit because 2001, we know, um, game against Tennessee's move because 9-11 gets pushed to the end of the season. But, you know, a lot of people forget Florida had already lost to Auburn you know, that year too. Now, Florida was, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the country. Uh, when Tennessee comes into town, all Florida's got to do is beat Tennessee and then win the uh, win the SEC championship game the next week. And Florida's playing Miami uh, in the Rose Bowl for the national championship. So what's one reason that game hurt a lot? But I do go back and look. Will at, at some at some point is hey look that was as is as lauded as that 2001 team is and it's Steve Spurrier's final season. That was still their second loss of the season. Uh, they they lost to Auburn. Um, I, I, to me, they should get penalized somewhat uh, about that, and that doesn't really necessarily lessen the blow of losing that 2001 game because, look, that 2001 Florida team, their best was – I do think their best was right up there with that 2001 Miami team. Maybe still a probably a hair behind. That 2001 Miami team so talented. 
I mean, and we saw it for years in the NFL with that team. I still, you know, that 01 Florida team, their best, it, it, they, were, they were the only team that could give that 01 Miami team a run. Uh, and, and if Florida played their best on that day, uh, they could definitely win it, win a game versus Miami in 2001. So, uh, but that reason people look at that Tennessee game is because they think it was such a lost, a lost shot at, at the national championship, and I'm still not sure they go beat that Miami team, and I still think they should get penalized somewhat for that game being their second loss. And, and there was really – that Tennessee team was okay. But they weren't great. And they, they were made to look great that night, and, lot, and they got lauded for that big win versus Florida that night. But, man, it, they, they go and lose the, the – after that Florida win, all they had to go do was beat LSU in the, in the SEC championship game that next week and end up – losing to Nick Saban and LSU and Tennessee doesn't go to a national championship uh, there. So, you know, a lot of people look at that Florida Tennessee game as a, you know, as, um, SEC East representative that could have, that should have went to a national championship, but um, you know, it wasn't the case uh, with, with Tennessee beating Florida and then losing the next week. So, you know, I, I penalize that 01 Florida team a bit because that Tennessee loss was their second loss. And when we go to 2012, We've mentioned that season and how fun it was. Florida goes to A&M in Tennessee and gets two big victories, beats LSU at home as well, sets up a big, big showdown with Georgia, and Florida just fumbles all over themselves all day. I think six turnovers, I think, for for, for the day. Uh, look, that offense wasn't that great anyway, but they had a chance in that game. That, but the offense wasn't great. You can't shoot yourself in the foot what, five, six times there and expect to, to beat that Georgia team that, you know, Gave Alabama a run for their money in 2012 too. That was a really good Georgia team. Uh, you know, Florida was pretty good in their own right. Still one of the best defenses I think in Gator history in that 2012 team. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, had a hair chance, and the reason it hurts because it was Florida's only loss. And Florida almost could have backdoored their way into a national championship game uh, appearance. They weren't going to play in the SEC championship game after losing that Georgia game. But Notre Dame and, and USC are playing, and USC has a chance to win that game. And lo and behold, you know, Notre Dame finds a way to, to win that game. And, and, but you could have had a chance. Well, what I was hoping for back in that 2012 scenario I was like, oh, man, could you imagine a Florida-Georgia rematch for a national championship in, I think it was in New Orleans that year. If Florida could, if, if, if Notre Dame would have somehow lost to USC and then Georgia beats Alabama, you could possibly had a one versus two in the BCS um, Florida-Georgia rematch for the national championship. Because Georgia would have been Florida's only loss and Georgia – uh, was the SEC champ? You know, Alabama would have had to get pegged behind uh, a bit, so that would have been fun. That's kind of what I was hoping for at, at that point. But I mean, that 2012 game goes down to the wire, even with the six turnovers. Jordan Reed fumble. We all that just he's running toward the end zone, about to score. Florida would have still needed a two point conversion anyway uh, for that game to pull it out. But you thought you had a chance. He's running toward the end zone. Jarvis Jones catches him from behind, punches the ball out. And that's all she wrote uh, for for the Gators in that 2012 game versus Georgia. So, um, all that, all the summary there. I still, I, I go 2012 Georgia just because I I penalized that 01 team for having two losses. 
It's funny. You you hate Georgia so much that colors everything that you say here. That maybe that's so. A, I, I'm trying not to look at it that way because I really do think. Like I, I was talking with that O one team with somebody. And I was like, I think everybody forgets that you know that that Tennessee that Tennessee loss was their second loss of the season. It wasn't their first loss. And that granted, you know it, that first loss versus Auburn got glossed over. As I said, they were as I believe ranked number two uh, for that Tennessee game. So they had everything in front of them still. But man, it was just. Um, it, it, I penalize them a lot for for that being their second loss. Yeah, the only thing there is, so if Florida wins that game um, against against Tennessee, they go to the SEC championship SEC championship game against LSU, who they beat on the road forty four to fifteen earlier in the year. So you sort of figure they're probably going to win that SEC championship game, and if they do, that they're in the national title game with one loss. Um, certainly, the the Hurricanes were a good team, and maybe they don't maybe they don't take them down, which then gives us a different thing to complain about that two thousand one season. <laughs> but but uh, but that that. I think the path to the championship is a little bit clearer from that 2001 team. The 2012 team, I don't think they beat Alabama in the SEC championship game if they beat Georgia. Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you lose in the SEC championship game, and then and then you and then you go play, um, you know, Louisville <laughs> in the Sugar yeah. Bowl or whatever after that anyway, or wherever. I guess I guess Georgia played the Capital Bowl, Capital One Bowl against Nebraska that year, so that's maybe where you end up. Um, yeah, you know, so the season basically ends up about the same if you lose that game to Alabama, and Alabama was really, really good in 2012. Mm-hmm. So, so the path to the championship, I think, was a little bit more uh, more murky when it came to 2012. Plus, because of the way things fell, we almost got another shot. So, you know, you mentioned the Notre Dame USC game, watching that thing, and sort of watching all the way through, and watching all the dominoes fall, and hoping that the dominoes will fall your way made that season a lot more entertaining. The other thing is, as you look at the game against Tennessee, Tennessee actually turned the ball over three times in 2001. Florida only turned it over once. It's a home game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rex Grossman threw for 362 yards, albeit on 51 attempts. They couldn't run the ball at all, 36 yards rushing compared to 242 yeah. for Tennessee. And I should have looked it up. Well, what it was two versus five or two versus six, I think, for the yeah. rookie. Yeah, I, th- I think they might. I think Tennessee might have actually been four. So they okay. were they were ranked. But it, but, 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 but it was a top five matchup, and Florida was like a what. 14, 15 point favorite. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Tennessee jumped out real quick. I think yeah. 14 nothing, and then Florida was able to come back. And, and I mean, it was a back and forth battle. It was a really good game, right? Yeah. I mean, it was one of those where going to the fourth quarter, you had a shot. Um, the thing that I think we forget about the Georgia game in 2012 is that the final was 17 to nine. So as Jordan Reed was going to the end zone or what looked like was going to the end zone there at the end, they still were going to need a two point conversion Mm -hmm. after, after he scored that touchdown. So it's not a sure thing, you know, maybe we're complaining about somebody dropping the ball in the end zone (laughs) two two plays later or a play later if he doesn't fumble that ball. And and here's the reality. When you turn the ball over six times against any team, the fact that you only lost by eight is is a freaking miracle, um, you know. So I look at it and say Florida probably deserves to win that 2001 game more than they deserve to win the 2012 game. I think their path to a championship was clearer in 2001 than it yeah. was in 2012. So that, and I was there, <laughs> I was there on campus, living through 9/11, seeing seeing that game move to the end of the year, and it was just a weird time. I mean, I remember we took a physics uh, test the next week, and uh, like right after 
after 9-11, once we got back in school, I had, a, I had a PCAM test. And basically everybody failed. And he's like, well, I guess this is bothering people more than, more than I thought. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just forget about that one. And, and, and that sort of stuff happened. Yeah. Right? People were affected by the events very much. Not the same thing, but the way people have been affected by COVID and, and, and some of the, the racial unrest that's happened now. There's just sort of a feeling of an ease. And that feeling existed in 2001. Um, sort of put life in perspective, which maybe made this loss a little bit less tough at the time. Um, and, and that's maybe the thing that colors it a little bit too, but uh, you asked me, it's, it's one Tennessee, man. Like that's, that's the one where I was there on campus. Uh, there would have been nothing better than celebrating a national championship on campus while you're a student. Yeah. And I missed out on that in one. So that's the one I'm going to go with. I got you. And, and I'll be honest tomorrow. I could wake up tomorrow. And it would be the other one. I, I do go back and forth on this one a lot uh, of which one hurts most. I guess, I guess it's just according to what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> so, uh, you caught me, you caught me in the Georgia mood tonight, but, uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, that, that one, cause I said for years and even recently that I've said that Oh one game hurts the most, but as I said, you know, just sitting here thinking, I, I got the feeling the, of the Georgia game. So I do go back and forth a lot with this one. Yeah. I mean, Hey, it's it's nice to have that problem, right? That yeah. we're picking two seasons where Florida had a shot at getting to the national championship, and and we're talking about the heartbreak associated with that, while also having three trophies in our case since since '96. It, it's a good place to be. It's why everybody's so passionate about the team, and uh, and uh, you know certainly gives us fodder to talk about. All right, well, let me get a few tweets that a lot of people sent their thoughts into for this, this, or that here. And Steve Schweiger says Spurrier over Meyer. Uh, Spurrier started the dominance. Must champ, not a jerk. So <laughs> kind of going with what we were saying here. Uh, 06 for kind of the reasons we said here, Will, uh, under the radar uh, here. He says, Georgia, I hate Butt Baloo to Lindsey Scott. So it dates all the way back to 1980 there. Uh, Steve Schweiger says, 2012 Georgia outplayed them, but six turnovers was gut-wrenching. Uh, JJ at Chicken Tender Pub Sub, still one of the uh, best names out there. I don't know where... Why, why, why Twitter name is after Chicken Tinder Pub subs, but uh, it, get, it gets me every time. Man knows some, man knows some good subs when he, he does. He does, he does. Um, there you go, Sprayer over Meyer. Uh, says must champ because he actually tried. Uh, 2006, <laughs> uh, uh, I was in school, so it's special. Uh, FSU, I grew up in the 90s when Georgia was basically a gimme game. Go to your point there, Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, 2001 Tennessee, would I love to see Spurrier's scheme against 01 Miami. Don't think 12 team would have beaten Bama in an SEC championship game. Uh, Gator Boy Tellum says, he goes with Spurrier. Uh, and he says, must champ. Uh, he also goes with 2006 for the year. Had to get this one in here. Uh, he says, to hell with Georgia. And then... Last one here, 2012 Georgia, that Jordan Reed fumble will forever live in my memories. Uh, Sarah Higgins says, uh, she checks in here. She says, Spurrier, he got the whole thing started. It is a Gator through and through. Must chant, wouldn't vote for Michael Wayne for anything. (laughs) Uh, 2008, always felt like we win every game with them on the field. Georgia, now now that FSU is in days going by. Uh, she says, 01 versus 12, both devastating, but living in Georgia, May 12 worse. Um, Terrence, not, uh, let's see, Terrence, not Terrence. There we go. Um, that, that's his, uh, username on Twitter. So there, make, clearing it up there. Uh, he says Spurrier, since he built the program to where it is, uh, must champ only because he had high recruiting classes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, I like that one. Uh, he says 2008 for the national championship year, FSU for FSU or Georgia. He says, Oh, one Tennessee rescheduled to the end of the season, kept us from contending for conference and national championship. 
few more here, a few more. Uh, Justin Blair says uh, Spurrier um, or Meyer, must champ, energy and groom young men. Uh, 2006, fun, unexpected ride. Georgia, uh, at a state fan, he says. In 2012, Georgia lost, loss affected program for years. Um, I, uh, that's kind of interesting thought there, Will, of, you know, what the, what happens if Muschamp does go on to, you know, win that game, somehow beat Alabama in the SEC championship game and, and maybe at least gets a national championship game appearance? Does it, does, does it, would it have bought him one more year? I probably would have bought him another offensive coordinator switch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure. I mean, here's the reality. Like Mullen is going to get an awful lot of rope because his team score points. Yeah. And you you can take a 42 to 38 loss and be like, all right, well, we were close. Like the LSU game last year. I mean, it's two touchdowns. LSU was clearly the better team. Florida hung with them for quite a while and it's on the road. And, you know, we didn't know what to expect from Trask and all that sort of stuff. But the fact that Florida's offense was effective in that game makes that game feel way different than if it was like 13 to six. Yeah. And unfortunately, every game that Muschamp coached felt like he, it was either thirteen to six or six to thirteen, and it, was, and it, and it didn't I matter. Mean, and it didn't matter to the opponent. <laughs> it really did. I mean, Florida Atlantic thirteen to six, playing Texas A and M thirteen to six. Got it. I mean, it's funny too because you look back at that and you didn't really know who Jan- you did, we, nobody knew who Johnny Manziel was yeah. when Florida played him, and all of a sudden that game looks a lot more. Uh, and he was lighting up Florida impressive. early, and they made some great adjustments and just completely shut him down in the second half of that game. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were there were all on the way in both Muschamp and McIlwain's tenures. There were games where you just felt like they put it together. I remember the game against LSU that was fourteen to six in that twenty twelve year where they just ran right over LSU, and you were like, "All right, these yeah. guys are physical enough to win the SEC." And then it turns out when you fumble the ball six times, not so much. But then they destroyed um, a really good South Carolina team at home too. You know, they had all kind of turnovers, but it was the really? week it was the week before the Georgia game, and they destroy South Carolina. Uh, who, the, who, who, who had beat Georgia earlier that well, year? Then, well, then the next year they couldn't get a punt off against South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, look, I, I think uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah. I suspect that the um, Muschamp's coaching abilities that we've seen since would have shown up against whoever they played if it wasn't Louisville. And uh, I'm I'm suspecting Alabama the next week, <laughs> yeah. and then we saw we saw that losing to Alabama in the SEC championship game doesn't buy extra years when it came to when it came to McElwain. So I doubt it would have bought Muschamp any more time either. <laughs> well, Muschamp went to hunt the shark, so you <laughs> <laughs> know, the real part of that, he wouldn't have made fake death threats. There we go. There you go. Um, here we go. Uh, last three. Set 16 bogeys. Trey Moo, good, uh, good buddy who uh, partied with in Atlanta after the Peach Bowl. Uh, there he says, Spurrier, um, never will catch me going against the old ball coach. Uh, he says, Coach Boom cared in a lot, cared a lot and wanted to win. Players loved him. Fans did as well. He just wouldn't allow that offense to practice. <laughs> Uh, he says, easy 2008. It's uh, kind of to your point, Will, you're here in a, in a way. He goes, it cemented UF into a tier one blue blood. Uh, and he goes, if you will, he goes, FSU all day. 2012, he goes, I cried. It hurt. <laughs> uh, Chris Gerard, uh, he's pick, picking Spurrier over Meyer. Uh, says, must chant. Really wish it worked out for him. Great guy. Um, uh, 2008 National Championship. Georgia, he says, he's, he would rather beat FSU, but jo- beating Georgia generally means we're going to the SEC championship game. 
Uh, 2012 Georgia for most heartbreak. And the last one here from Sam Stark goes, I'll take Meyer. Would rather have Mush Champ. Want the 08 championship. Think beating Georgia is more important. Would rather relive the 2012 Georgia loss. Um, I'm assuming that means he doesn't want to relive the 2001 uh, Tennessee game there. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Will and I have more planned. Uh, oh, yeah, well, you had one more. Well, yeah, you and I were going back and forth, and I, I wanted to know your opinion on Savage versus Planet Fitness because that, <laughs> that was the, uh, the the other the other remnant <laughs> from uh, from McIlwain's era is those guys having to go off to the the Gainesville Health and Fitness and exercise that uh, that guy just left a really bad taste in everybody's mouth. It, it was it, it's amazing how many bridges he burned. Um. Personally, for me, I probably couldn't handle a Nick Savage workout, so give me Planet Fitness. (laughs) (laughs) I can do it once. I just want to be able to move for the next month and a half. Uh, I'll take Casey on here and explain to us Matt drills. I probably couldn't get through 10 minutes of one of those. Yeah, that's all right. They just take me to the hospital when I passed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, good good one there. We got more planned. Uh, we have more behind the scenes. A couple more that I, I'll think of, and we'll do it again next time. Favorite helmet, favorite uniform combo, all that kind of stuff. Orange or blue, I think we should go into that, too. Uh, kind of stuff like that. So we got more more fun ones I think we can we can roll out sometime this summer. Yeah, well, you don't want to break out a debate over the white helmets the first time you bring this gimmick out there, Dave. It's uh, – it's uh, <laughs> you're, you're going to start a mutiny. No, white helmet hive, white helmet hive. Uh, we broke that curse. I don't want to hear it. I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in curses anyway. We don't we don't win or lose because of a helmet. Get that out. Get get that out of your mind. That needs yeah, that, that, that needs to be the moniker of the podcast from now on. Helmet color does not matter, <laughs> <laughs> but stars well, do. But oh, it, but, it affects, <laughs> but it affects but it affects recruiting, Dave. So. <laughs> Helmet color doesn't matter, but stars do. There we go. Uh, we'll, we'll stick with the, the never dull moment there, yeah. buddy. All right, we will. We will. Try to be funny there. You will. Try to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, man, uh, been busy at Read Reaction um, last couple of weeks, or last last few days, I should say, and a uh, uh, really good piece there with, um, you know, very fr- from Twitter. So uh, let our listeners know kind of kind of personal uh, with everything kind of going on in, in America right now. Yeah, one of the nice things about having my own site is I can put stuff up that's not necessarily always football related. And, you know, I, I think most people over the last week or two weren't really thinking about football so much as they were thinking about some of the racial divisions that are going on in the country. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm married to a Chinese woman, and so I've got biracial kids. And, and uh, you know, so I reached out to, to Vary on Twitter. He's at, at 157Gale. And we just sort of went back and forth talking about, you know, the 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 Ahmad Arbery case and, and the, uh, the George Floyd. Floyd case and the riots and sort of you know, trying to understand different cultures. So, so he's biracial, half, half white, half black. And, and so, you know, Hey, what do I need to know? I need to reach out and have conversations with people. Um, you know, we've got this connection through Florida football. Let's have a discussion and see if it starts a discussion with other people as well. So, um, so we put that up there on, on Sunday and then certainly you already mentioned the, the Rache Caldwell article that I put up as well. So um, that's, what's up there on the site right now. And certainly go take a look. Um, it's different, but I think it adds something to the conversation hopefully makes you think i know it made me think and that was one of the things i think that was most rewarding about it is it was very i both went back and forth and said you know that that it made us think about what we were putting down on paper and uh you know if nothing else built trust between he and i and and next time i'm in town we're certainly planning on getting together and having a beer so um you know just having the conversation makes a difference i think hopefully that's what people take out of it and take out of this entire um this entire event is that you know 
white people aren't evil, black people aren't evil. We got to learn to get together, learn to learn to get along, and and that involves having conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. So, readreaction.com is where you can go and read Will's latest couple articles there. Uh, Will, um, any, any, any much more stuff coming up? Um, I mean, of course, football players back uh, on campus. I'm hoping we'll get to hear from Dan Mullen sometime soon uh, with, with players back on campus and workouts heading head now. You probably, you know, not too much football, football stuff going on, trying to get the players back in shape and all that good stuff, but uh, probably football on the horizon. Absolutely. There's going to be some film study stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks on the site. Um, You know, the, the, as the football season gets closer and closer, I know people want to start looking at at where does Florida need to improve and, and what should we look for in terms of maybe the schematic things that Mullen's going to do that uh, that'll free some people up. And, you know, he's not going to have the advantage of having those seniors at wide receiver. And we've talked about that a lot this off season, but uh, you know, with the limited practice time, maybe what are the standard things we should be looking for um, that he trots out there and, and uh, you know, how will you know if a true freshman gets out there, how do you know if he's doing a good job or not? And those sort of be the things hopefully I'm looking at over the next two, three weeks. All right, it's Will Miles. Go follow his site, readandreaction.com, and follow him on Twitter at WillMilesSDC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Everybody, if you like the this or that, I'll post it back on Twitter and just keep uh, sending all your weights to YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, put your comments there on YouTube. Uh, give us your thoughts on this or that, uh, your favorite, you know, Meyer or Spurrier, Muschamp, McElwain, 96, 06, 08, FSU or Georgia, 01, which one hurt the most? 01, Tennessee or 2012, Georgia? Just give you comments down there and uh, we'll, we'll keep interacting with you. So, how to do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown.